You are listening to Artisan Adventures with FGG Designs. Join us on our journey as we explore the different worlds of wood carving, ring making, knife making, photography, pyrography, leathercraft, crochet, and paper art. This is episode number nine, Getting Started in Wood Carving, part two. In today's episode, we look at the tools and equipment Sean uses as he makes his works of art in wood carving. Sean, I think in that process, you're going to sort of explain the differences between traditional tools and the modern tools and how you go about using them on a day-to-day basis. Right. Yeah, I mean, I use more traditional method for wood carving. So the tools I use are axes and knives. Whereas more modern tools would be, you know, like a bandsaw rather than an axe. So the mm-hmm. axe I use is, is more of a hatchet than an axe. It's not like what you think of with a big two-handed, unwieldy type thing. It's more of a small, only weighs about one okay. and a half pounds. And it's, it's actually a carving hatchet. And it's made by a mm-hmm. man called Robin Wood. Um, you probably hear his name quite a lot because I have three of his tools and I recommend them highly. Is it formed differently than a regular hand axe? Yeah, so the handle is a nice shape so that you can basically, if you hold it right down the bottom, you've got a lot of power, whereas then it kind of tapers up to the top, whether you can get your hand around the top of it, which they call butting up, and then you can get a lot of fine control with smaller chops and smaller cuts, which is thankfully what I was doing when I hit my finger, not right down the bottom, otherwise I'd have no hand, let alone no finger. (laughs) So yeah, if you want to use like a bandsaw, people might use a bandsaw or a scroll saw to cut out the design before they start carving it. Whereas what I do is I use my axe with using a a main log, using my axe and then split that down and chop the main part away, which is the traditional method. So you're forming your object with the axe? Yeah. Basic forming? This is mainly talking about spoons and spatulas and those kind of things. You wouldn't use an axe for a pendant because it's yep, there was the pendant <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean actually that's again what i was trying to do when i cut my finger this <laughs> tiny little piece of wood and massive hatchet that so yeah. so part of tool use is not only knowing how to use the tools but when to use your yeah. tools on what materials you or materials i guess because it's all wood but what projects to use what tools yeah i mean so what I was doing was more overkill, really. I mean, I had this tiny little piece of wood that I was trying to make into a pendant, and I was using my big, or well, I say big, my axe, which is not exactly the smallest object I have to work right. with. Um, and yeah, I slipped, and which is understandable with a tiny piece of wood that small. You got to get close to your fingers, and it was a silly idea to begin with. But the Lord taught me that lesson by, yeah, allowing me to hurt my finger. But yeah, so what I had to say to come back to is when it comes to the main shaping of the wood you can either use a bandsaw or a scroll saw even a handsaw if you really wanted to just take a lot longer right or you could use an axe and again going back to more the old traditional swedish style of carving for utensils and spoons is that's what they would use they'd use a hatchet to get the the basic raw material of the log split that in half which i'll talk about in another podcast why you split it in half and then using that half of a log with your axe then to make almost what resembles a spoon with your axe and then you go to the more refined tools like your knives and things like that okay yeah the the axe that you have i mean i've seen you hacking away out there and it seems to 
go actually very efficiently. I think the more you use these tools, obviously the more accustomed you get, the more comfortable you get with those tools. Obviously, you don't want to get too Too comfortable. But what you do is just about completely manual uh, tools versus the electric bandsaw and things like that. Yeah. So again, with the axe, it's, as you were saying, you get so comfortable with it that it's, when I'm using it, I'm, it's almost like an extension to my arm. I know that sounds a bit of a cliched sentence, but yeah, it, I'm in control of the axe and mm-hmm. I feel, I mean, sometimes different woods respond differently as well. If you have a very soft wood like Aspen, the axe just glides through it and it's, you can almost cut too much away without realizing it. Whereas something harder like lemon wood or cherry, you can do a few more cuts to get down to it. But yes, yeah, so I've always used an axe uh, when it comes to spoons and everything. I mean, I've used a scroll saw to help cut out pendants because uh, I learned from my mistake of trying to use the axe. Um, <laughs> but theoretically with a pendant, you could just go straight to the knife right? Um, and just cut around it. But it just saves a lot more time to use something like a scroll saw to cut the basic pattern out. Um, but yeah, with with these saws or with the axe, the main thing you're doing there is removing the most bulk material to get down to the the smallest form you can get with the axe or the bandsaw and then you go to refining it okay and then when it comes to refining it uh, this is again talking probably more like a spoon or if you are carving a pendant this is what you would want for this bit is then i use a knife and it's a traditional swedish carving knife made mm-hmm. by uh, mora mm-hmm. so that's m-o-r-a and because any one thing i could recommend in my whole toolkit it would be this knife Okay, you couldn't recommend this more. Mora. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Mora. Yeah, um, it's your Mora 106. You can find it on Amazon. And for it being probably the greatest tool that I own, it's one of the cheapest. It mm-hmm. was, it's only a, probably about $25, I think. Uh-huh. And comes razor sharp and it's easy to use. It's a long blade. And you think of a carving knife, you usually think of something quite small. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to carving spoons, the longer blade actually... Helps a lot because when you cut, you don't just want to do little chops with a knife. You want to do long, smooth, slicing motions. Okay. So then with a knife, with a longer blade, you can do a longer slice mm-hmm. and use the whole length of the blade, starting right from the, the butt of the knife where it meets the, the tang, mm-hmm. and then slide it all the way down to the tip, and you get nice, long slices and facets. Okay. With a shorter nice. knife, you can't do that. Right. Um, it, you can still carve with it. Yeah. But if you want to go without using sandpaper, which we'll go on to again in a minute, if you want to use it without sandpaper, the longer the cut, the less tool marks you're going to receive and the less facets you will get. Right. Would it also speed up the process also? Yeah, definitely. Especially when it comes to tidying up mm-hmm. the surface of it. So when I say a facet, just for those who don't know, it's basically where one cut meets another cut mm-hmm. and you get that, that line. So again, if you're doing loads and loads of small cuts... You're going to have loads of little bumps and nicks and they're all facets. And on the back of a spoon bowl, for example, that looks quite pleasant. But mm-hmm. on a handle, it might look a bit right out of place. Mm-hmm. Um, so especially when you're coming down like a long 12, 13 inch cooking spoon, you want to have a nice, long, straight cut down the handle so it looks right. nice and smooth right. rather than loads of little cuts. Yeah. And you, res- you can do that a lot easier with a long bladed knife. Okay. But if you don't want to get the more on, you want to get something else. The main type of knife, or the ty- yeah, the style of knife, is what they call a Scandinavian grind knife, or a Scandi grind for short. That just means it has only one bevel either side of the knife. Okay. It hasn't got a secondary bevel like most knives. If you mm-hmm. look at 
you would know as being a knife maker, but right. you look at most knives and where the bevels meet, there's another small bevel mm-hmm. that joins them two together and that's called a secondary bevel. But a Scandi grind is just one flat bevel that goes right from the top down to the bottom and meets at a fine point. And why is, why is that so important in wood carving? It allows you to get closer, like the, the angle of the knife hasn't got to be at such a, a sharp angle to cut. Okay. So you can get almost like the knife is almost flat when you're touching the wood and it allows you to take off those very small little bumps and it gets you a nice smooth finish. So it actually helps in the detail yes. aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. So if you don't want to get a Mora 106, just look for another knife that is a, a Scandi grind, especially if you want to be doing spoons, that kind of thing, spoons, spatulas, spreaders, kind of kitchenware that you're probably not going to want to sand. However, if you're just going to be making pendants or other carvings, then honestly, any kind of carving knife will be fine for that. But I just recommend the Mora 106. It's probably my most most used knife. I mean, I use it more than anything. Right. So, But you you have also been very focused on spoons and kitchen utensils. Right. So they're a little larger Yep. in that sense. So you're more focused on the longer strokes and things like that. But I'm sure that for some people who might, like like you said, be doing the dependence yeah that would at least from my perspective would seem to be a little too big to do that i would have said so too and i mean personally for me when i'm doing pendants like i mentioned in an earlier podcast i use the knives that you made mm-hmm. and they are a lot smaller right however there's a person that i highly respect and look up to in the carving world and his name is giles newman and he carves the most amazing pendants you've ever seen and he uses a mora 106 for him Wow. And, I mean, the knife is bigger than the pendants that he's carving. Right. But he holds it almost like a pencil. So he's actually holding the blade right up to the tip of the, the knife and using it just to slowly carve out piece by piece. Wow. But he's also a spoon carver. So maybe he just, the only knife he's ever used. So maybe he, can, he hasn't used another one. So he just, he's sticking with what he knows. But I don't know. I don't right. know. Right. And he has, he has so much experience with using that knife. It's like an extension to his hand. Yeah. So I'm sure that that's not really an issue. No. I mean, well, that's the, the hand tool side of carving when you come down to the knife. But I've seen a lot of people use like a multi-tool Dremel to mm-hmm. do carving work. I mm-hmm. mean, the guy we spoke about a little while ago who did, made the walking sticks, mm-hmm. he uses a Dremel. Right. And you can get so precise with that. And I mean, again, that's almost like using a big pen. It's got like a rotary bit that mm-hmm. you can put into the top of the Dremel and hold it as steady as you'd like and just use that to slowly chisel away and carve away anything you don't need. Right. Um, so again, I wouldn't recommend that for spoons mainly. The best thing for like I say spoons in the sense of the whole kitchen utensil. Like right. The best thing for that personally, I believe, is a knife. Right. It's the quickest and most efficient. But whether you want to use, going back a track again, whether you want to use an axe or a bandsaw, that comes down to personal preference. I, I prefer the the chopping of an axe rather than the, the sawing of a bandsaw. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like the axe leaves a smoother finish as well. I mean, I know that's not main thing because you're going to go over with a knife and smooth it out anyways. But right. I don't know, I just feel like I have more control with the axe. But yeah, when it comes to knife and the refining, I don't think you can beat a knife in that area. I mean, you might use a Dremel for pendants or something like a walking stick. That seemed actually probably be more appropriate. I've seen some people actually use like files and rasps to shape their tool, uh, their spoons, sorry. 
The basic forming, you mean? Yeah, it? the basic forming. So once they've used the axe, they then, rather than a knife, they use a file or a rasp oh, okay. and just have it in a, a vise and file it down until it's the right size and shape they want. But again, it's also depending on what you're carving. And I will touch on this more in a later podcast. But whether you're carving dry wood or fresh wood makes a big difference. I usually carve a lot of fresh wood. Mm-hmm. So and I even take measures like using glue to glue the ends of the log so they don't dry out right and they stay fresh for longer but basically the idea of using fresh wood is it's a lot easier to carve i mean you imagine something like butter when it's dry and hard it's very hard to get you know a slice out of it Mm -hmm. to put on your sandwich but then when it's hotter and wetter it's Mm -hmm. a lot easier to Mm -hmm. it's the same with wood when wood is fresh it has more sap in it Mm -hmm. it's a lot easier to carve a lot easier on your hands a lot easier on your knife you haven't got to sharpen as much so I use fresh wood. But if you're going to try and use a file or a rasp on a fresh piece of wood that's still wet, it's not going to work very well. Same with sanding. You can't sand a, a wet piece of wood. It has to be dry. Um, right. So it all depends on what you're carving, basically. If you've gone to the store and bought seasoned wood that's already dry, you might want to use a bandsaw and a rasp or a file to shape it. But if you're using a log, like I do, an axe and a knife are the best things for those. Okay. They won't clog up your saw bits and stuff like that. Lastly, just want to mention, because they're the, they're the only tools that I really use. Um, I also have special spoon carving knives, mm-hmm. again, made by Robin Wood. Um, and you can find these. I mean, Mora do one as well, but I personally don't recommend it. It doesn't come very sharp. And ironically, it actually has a secondary bevel, which mm. is quite interesting why they put a secondary bevel on that knife, but not their other knife. And that's that's the one that's curved, correct? Yes. Yeah, so a spoon carving knife, or sometimes known as a crook knife or a hook knife, it's basically just a bladed side, one-sided blade that is hooked up like a C almost. Some of them come very, very sharp, and they are in the shape of a C. Some of them are more slightly curved, so you can get a different radius of curve depending on what size spoon you want to carve. So I have two different um, radiuses. I have what they call an open curve, which is a very shallow very or is that the other one that's the one that's very it doesn't curve much so it's a shallow curve right and that'd be great for something like a cooking spoon which doesn't have a very deep bowl when it's a larger bowl Mm -hmm. then i have one with a much more acute radius to it which is great for something like a coffee scoop where you got to go a lot deeper Mm -hmm. but the bowl itself is a lot smaller so you need to get in in deeper and yeah so you can look them up online a hook knife and you can buy the mora just to test out if you haven't done spoon carving before i would recommend it because it's a lot cheaper um mm-hmm. even though the 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 straight knives like the mora 106 i mentioned earlier you tend to be very cheap when you get more specialized tools like the hook knife they can be quite expensive right. i mean i've seen some independent blacksmiths sell them for you know 100 plus dollars right so you can be quite more expensive whereas the the mora hook knife tends to only be around, again, 25 to $30. But it has that secondary bevel. Secondary that, bevel. That doesn't allow you to get the angle. Yeah, it, it doesn't there, give right? a smoother finish, and you get a lot more chunks. Okay. And I've sometimes said it looks like I've chewed the bowl out rather than mm. carved the bowl out. But if you're not sure whether you want to get into spoon carving, it's a cheap tool that allows you to at least experience it, to know whether you like this, rather than spending hundreds of dollars on a knife and realizing, I don't really like this. Right. It's a good starter tool. I mean, it was my first mm-hmm. spoon carving knife. If you want to get into it, I'd recommend one of those. But once you're doing it, I then recommend getting a more uh, more professional 
uh, spoon carving knife. And again, Robin Wood has a great, great tools and there's lots of good people who do them. You can just look online. And I mean, Hans Carlson is another brand who do a great one. Um, and I hear a lot of people who say a lot of good reviews about them. Um, so that's the three tools I use. Basically, to sum it up, the axe would be to use to get away the most material and get it down to its basic form. The knife, the straight knife, is what then we use to refine the surfaces. And finally, the hook knife is what I use to carve the bowl of the spoon out. It's mainly only used for that um, because, yeah, it's good at cutting into the wood to make like, that bowl shape. And if you wanted to make small bowls, you could even use it for that. I wouldn't recommend making a big salad bowl with one because you could do it, but you'd be there for a very long time. Right. That's a lot of wood you're removing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, if you did want to sand, that's obviously down to personal preference. I used to sand and I mean, there's those cases where I will sand. But as I mentioned in the last podcast, my reasonings for sanding is my reason for not sanding rather is Jonathan mentioned actually it was the grazing of the grain yeah so when you sand you're abrasing the surface you're tearing the fibers of the wood Mm -hmm. and they don't lay flat and it looks smooth but the reason it looks smooth is because you've actually made little holes in the wood when you've abrased it and then the wood sawdust has filled those holes okay so it feels nice and smooth right but the moment you get it wet that sawdust comes out and you're left with those little holes and it feels fluffy it feels rough mm-hmm. whereas when you finish it with just your knife and it has to be razor sharp i mean my arm has bits of hair out of it where i've been testing to make sure my knife is razor sharp and if you're yeah if your knife is razor sharp you can then go with those long sweeping cuts like i mentioned earlier and get a nice long smooth facet and that means then the wood has been completely laid flat it's not been roughed up it's just one smooth cut and that will never raise the grain because the grain hasn't been severed in that point it's just been laid flat would you be able to like what we do in knife making is we'll start with a coarser grain right um sandpaper and keep on going to a finer grain sandpaper smoothing up the surface to the point we can actually create a mirror finish on the metal would that works similarly in with the wood would you could you get to the point with the wood that if you work through those different grains get to the point where it's basically totally uh, smooth or do you think you'd still have an issue i mean cuz some of that some of that sandpaper is well it's just about like glass yeah so when i was sanding spoons i did something very similar to that um because again, i looked up you know how to not make my spoons fluffy with sandpaper right and if you're willing to put in the amount of work and honestly the amount of hours, you could get it to the point where it's not fluffy anymore. Right. But it's only a matter of time before it, it will get fluffy at mm-hmm. some point, but it just won't go as fluffy after the first use. Right. But how you do that is, yeah, working through the grit. So I'd start with a probably an 80 grit sandpaper and then go to 150, 220, well, no, 240 rather, 320, and then go to 400. Okay. But between the stages of the 240 and the 320, I would actually get the spoon wet. And then that raised the grain of the spoon already. And I'd let it dry. And then once it's fluffy, I then go with the 320 and sand off the fluffy bits. Okay. Not Don't completely sand the whole spoon as if you was trying to remove another layer of grain. Right. But just to remove that fluffiness. Right. So then it feels smooth again. But yeah, really minimal sanding. Mm-hmm. And then get it wet again. And then let it dry and then with the 400 grit remove that last little bit of fluffiness again 
and then when you oil it it should remain smooth but again that's not that's not foolproof right um, and there were still spoons that I mean I could have got them wet and sanded them got them wet sanded them 10 20 times and they still were fluffy when they were wet right um, well and, and it obviously is a, a probably a, a lot longer procedure yeah so when you're thinking of like we selling knives you, you have to also think of the profitability yep. and you want to make handmade products not just knives or spoons yep. um, you're trying to figure out how can you accomplish this with the, the minimum amount of time but yep. with the highest possible quality mm-hmm. and sometimes it's a matter of finding like like you have different procedures different methods of c- accomplishing something very close and in one way, I think better, yeah. and for for the spoons very specifically, because like with your pendants and things like that, you still sand right. um, because it's you know you, people aren't going to be sticking those in water hopefully. or in their mouth or in their mouth. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, and again, this isn't more of a product issue why I don't sand anymore. I mean, the reason, the main reason why we stopped is because we want to offer the best product. We don't want to offer something that might look smooth when you first get it but after a week of using it it looks fluffy and starts to color and it doesn't look good anymore so the reason why was yeah we used the knife rather than sandpaper so we ensure we get a better product but one of my personal reasons why i stopped using sandpaper was again we mentioned it last time i wasn't truly developing in my craft while i was using sandpaper Mm -hmm. because always in the back of my mind there was that uh, I use sandpaper to get rid of right. that, you know, and there was never that striving to get the perfect cut mm-hmm. or to get a nice long sweeping cut with one one sweep of the knife rather than loads of little knife cuts and then going over a sandpaper to smooth out the mm-hmm. edges. And I feel like I've developed a lot since I've stopped using sandpaper. And I would recommend if you are a spoon carver and you are using sandpaper, whether you stop using sandpaper for good, I would at least say, try maybe for a week to carve some spoons just using the knife right? and test yourself to see just how how good, well not in a horrible way, but how good your knife skills are when it comes mm-hmm. to carving something. And you might be surprised and it might inspire you then to more pursue and seek that that next spoon to be even better with a knife. And that next level of excellence. Yeah, because if you can do it with a knife without a sandpaper, then you can carve almost anything, I think, because that's... Yeah, it takes a lot to carve something just with one tool. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, sandpaper is obviously, some people say they cover up your mistakes and I don't know how I feel about that as such, but it does make it a lot easier to fall back on using sandpaper rather than if you know you hit to finish it with just a knife. It right. gives you that more concentration. Yeah, and I've I've clearly seen you develop in your knife skills with that as you're focused on those smooth cuts and right. things like that. You've yeah, it's it's phenomenal to to look at your your spoons, your spatulas, um, all these things that you've been working on. To just to see that the smoothness, feel the smoothness, and then of course not only right then and there, but we use your spoons. Uh, we all have those spoons. We don't all use them every day, although you use your spoon uh, every day. Yeah, and Obviously, we don't put it in the dishwasher. Nope. But it, never dishwasher it, them. It gets cleaned, you know, after every use, mm-hmm. and it's still just as hard and smooth as when you first got it. 
Whereas if it was had been sanded, even if I'd gone through that long procedure, by now it would be getting fluffy. Right. Which is a shame. So, but yeah, just to sum up, basically, my basic spoon carving toolkit. I mean, you can use these for wood carving as well, but this is more, like I said, for utensils. So my spoon carving toolkit would consist of the axe, my straight knife, which is by Mora, and you can have different radiuses if you want. You could just have just one to try with. But yeah, some kind of hook knife that allows you to carve out the bowl. And then, as we just said, if it's down to you, your personal preference, if you want to use sandpaper, just have at least have a, an assortment of different grits. Mm-hmm. So maybe a, you know, a coarse, medium, and a fine, whether that be 80, 150, and 240 is what you want to use, that's, that's fine. And also, if you're really serious about spoon carving, one of the things that has helped me learn a lot is actually buying another person's spoon. Um, mm-hmm. because it's hard to see in pictures what happens where and actually having someone spoon in your hand you can see oh, okay so they they go like this that transition flows from here to here and you know oh, okay they, they the handle comes down this way it's a lot easier to see when it's in your hand and you're also supporting another spoon carver by buying one of their products as well right um but i've learned a lot from using uh, from not just yeah having one to look at but actually using it right because then you get to see how it feels when you're actually using it and because ultimately it wants to be functional right and, and as much as i care about the form function is what truly matters the most you don't just want to have a good looking spoon that when you try to use it's the soup falls out and mm-hmm. you can't pick up anything with it so or it doesn't feel good in your mouth no yeah or yeah and that's one of the ways of using it because it might look great and it might even feel great to hold, but until you put it in your mouth, that you know, the shallowness of the bowl might be too, you know, the rim might be touching your mouth in a way that doesn't feel comfortable, or mm-hmm. you know, it might be too. We call it a crank, which is basically the the angle where the bowl comes down and the handle goes up, and you get that almost like a Nike tick mm-hmm. kind of area. That's what they call the crank. And if it's too much, it feels uncomfortable, and if it's not enough, it feels uncomfortable. So right. there's a lot of a lot that goes into ergonomics yeah of what goes into an eating spoon this right. is mainly for eating spoons yes which is even though this isn't really tool related but it's maybe good to mention because we're on this subject that there is a distinction between your uh, kitchen spoon versus your eating spoon yeah. and you have very much focused on eating spoons initially which are more important to have that that smooth mm. surface as anyone who's in the kitchen knows you can buy, you know, uh, 50 cent uh, wooden spoons at the 99 cent store. Yeah. <laughs> and and they're, they've been sanded, obviously. You, yeah. you, you get them wet once and you already feel the roughness in the wood. Yeah. Maybe the quality of the wood is less too, I don't know. But, you know, that's all been machined. It's, yeah. it's an automated process, you know, knock those babies out. But for you, even there's a difference in quality with the kitchen spoons that you make but there is you focus very specifically on getting those eating spoons just right right. it's because it's kind of the same as when they teach you how to play guitar when i was in school they recommended learning the acoustic guitar before the electric guitar Mm -hmm. because the acoustic guitar is a lot harder to play than the electric guitar you have to push harder on the fretboard to make a sound and so they say basically if you can learn the acoustic then you can play the electric Right, And in a lot of spoon carvers' opinions, that's the same with eating spoons. Because an eating spoon is probably one of the hardest spoons to carve because you have to get so many of those proportions correct. You have to have a deep enough bowl to hold liquid 
but not too deep that it feels uncomfortable in the mouth. You need to have the rim that's not sharp because if you come down with sharp facets and you put it in your mouth, wood's not metal, but it can still cut you. Right. And it can still feel unpleasant. You've got to have the right shape of the handle coming down. If the handle comes down from the bowl rather than up from the bowl, then you know, you're going to pick something up and then when you go to put it in your mouth, the spoon's going to be at the wrong angle and everything's going to fall off the bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, and it needs to feel smooth. So there's so many areas, whereas a cooking spoon, you could theoretically have just a straight piece of wood with a bowl on the end of it, and that will be used as a cooking spoon. Um, again, I don't like to go that basic. I try to make it a bit different, mm-hmm. but that's what you get in a store. It's just a flat, long spoon, whereas you won't be able to eat with that. Right. Um, so eating spoons are probably one of the hardest spoons to carve. Mm-hmm. I still think coffee, spo- coffee scoops are the hardest because of the shape of the bowl. It's very right. hard to get in there. Mm-hmm. But for argument's sake, eating spoons are very, very hard to get right. Mm-hmm. So the reason I practiced eating spoons so much was because I could take that and put that into other spoons once I've learned it. So it's the same with learning an acoustic before the electric. If I can carve an eating spoon, I can carve a cooking spoon. Right. So it was just more of a, a challenge and practice for me. And also because they're, you know, they're only probably about six inches long as opposed to a cooking spoon is 12 inches to 12, 14, 16, however long you want, you're using less wood. So with a log that's 12 inches long, I could get four cook, four eating spoons, only two cooking spoons. So right. it was a lot more, especially when I was in England and, you know, I was just practicing. Eating spoons were the easiest thing to get my hands on to carve basically because I didn't have to use so much wood. Mm-hmm. And they, again, if you wanted to store it, if you haven't finished it, it doesn't take up as much room to store. So yeah, that was my reasoning for doing eating spoons. And I feel that that practice has helped me with my other spoons too. Well, you've you've clearly developed over the time I've known you, and I'm excited at the improvement in quality. I, I think we could go on talking about spoons. There's a lot to to, to say. I, I've I was just thinking of a lot of things that we could add in relationship <laughs> to that. But this this episode is about tools. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you have been motivated by today's topics to excel in your craft, but most importantly, to live for God's glory. If you have any questions about this episode, please write us at podcast at fggdesigns.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or visit us at fggdesigns.com.